0: Conspiracy Show with Richard Seren. Thanks for inviting me into your home, your long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed basement with the simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate in your cabin in the woods. And hiya to those of you tuning in on one of our affiliate stations across North America – However, and wherever you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes, and I thank you for your fine company. And just a reminder, we are not live streaming on my YouTube channel tonight. I'm in YouTube jail for a week, well, until Tuesday. Last week's show with Joseph Farrell was taken down. I'm in violation of YouTube's community standards with regards to spreading medical misinformation, which, uh, quite frankly, is kind of a badge of honor. Anyway, that stream no longer available on YouTube, so we've moved it over to my channel on Rumble. Rumble. So I strongly urge you to check out that. If you missed the live show last week, go to Rumble.com, search under channels, Richard Serrett's Strange Planet, and then be sure to share it with everyone. All right. Jared Murphy stays with us this hour. It's not aliens. Worse, it's us discovering our lost history. Jared is a a self-experimenter, field researcher of ancient technologies and lost history. He's uh, traveled the world. Searching for Evidence of Advanced Ancestors and High Technology. And again, his book is It's Not Aliens, It's Us Discovering Our Lost History. So, you were mentioning these maps. So, we yeah. have these maps. Tell me, first of
1: all, where did we find these maps and what do they depict? So, we have, you know, the U.S. Air Force and some retired group looking at the P. Reese Reese map, Admiral Reese. He's kind of like a Turkish version of... Uh, our George Washington a bit. He's very famous within Turkey's borders. But in 1516, there's a map made and it's a map actually of the entire world. But then there's a section that gets ripped off, which we are now calling the P. Reis reese map that we know of. On the map it shows what appears to be South America, a little bit of Africa, and it has a bunch of notes and a bunch of writing on it. And it has what appears to be the non- kilometer deep covered section of Antarctica and we weren't even able to prove that out until we could do um, seismic surveys and and we had other it took into the 60s to be sure and people kind of get stuck on that where they look at this map and say how is it on the p Reese, Reese map it's and it's been talked about a bunch in that oh you know it says well this is a map made of a bunch of maps well we had a bunch of old maps and we needed to consolidate it and no matter what your religion is, everyone wants, for some reason, their trade routes to not be interrupted on the ocean, and they want their military to not crash up their ships. So no matter what your thoughts are on the technology of maps, it escapes being edited by people who think it's a technology, in this particular case, a technology that should not be known. So the trump card for not destroying this is that, no one wants their ship to run into stuff so you need longitude latitude and there's a lot of different neat history things about sailing and in this particular case it longitude's a hard thing to project you know it's the earth is round and lines that you you know as you shape a line in a curve for you to have an accurate longitude it's 1516 you have this map and it's it took till like 1575 till they could do math that would help create accurate projections. But here's a map that not only shows the entire this whole section of Antarctica with some you know kind of rivers and streams and mountainy rain, you know terrain that is still currently to this day under ice. It's showing and what and certainly was in 1516 as well. Oh yeah. And, and and so there's no way. It's like so if this is a map of a map of a bunch of maps and you guys are literally writing that on there, uh, okay. So then where where did you get your maps? And does it, you know? And everyone thinks of the Great Alexandria Library, but the the Chinese had great libraries. The Greeks had great libraries. All of them miraculously burned. the The systems the same. I mean, we could do a whole show on the conspiracy of burning libraries and, like, you know, Gregorian monks saying, "Well, this isn't how it went. It went like this." I mean, a lot of what we credit, uh, for instance, as I'm doing my research, a huge sickening. I had this naive thought growing up that, of course, all the original documentations. Like whatever Greek manuscripts survived, thank God there were people who've always cared about history. And then, I, and then as, of course, you dig in and you find out, oh, wait, these are copies of copies and a lot of it was done by monks. And they literally would write not just for biblical translations, but they would say, well, this isn't how this story went. Getting parchment or skins to write on were difficult sometimes. So they would erase. And there's a lot of techniques that we've seen in the last 30 years where they're using, uh, because of the lead and the other surfaces, they've been able to scan and see the prior writings. But we actually don't have any of the original writings from Solon or Plato or Socrates. We take it for granted that they're original writings, but they're not. They're hundreds of years or even a thousand years or so newer than the original. In, right. what in other words, words our, of as... our history is very, very, very
0: redacted.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh, man. You are dead on. It's so sad. And so for this map to exist, because, again, nobody likes to crash a ship. Nobody likes to build new ships. Everyone wants their tea and or salt and or pepper. And you have to have accurate sailing maps. So if you got a map that can help you navigate, you're not going to get rid of it just because you're going to burn in some Idle of ball and fill in the blank. And so these maps survived first and foremost because they were valuable for travel. So here we are with the unfettered coastline of Antarctica, accurate longitude. And that's odd, right? You, like, how do you, again, at a minimum, for everyone to get their head around this, eight to nine thousand years ago is the earliest time frame that this section and and again, it's not like we've done a ton of core sampling, so we don't really know this for sure. But the general estimate is this section of Antarctica definitely didn't have ice on it about eight or nine thousand years ago. And I think I think we've discussed Doggerland a little bit, and and I want to give people a snapshot of the world. So it's even six thousand years ago. Is that
0: where the English Channel now is, the, the, yeah, connecting all, Great yep. Britain and Scotland all the way over into the continent
1: yep. of Europe, which was, was one landmass, right? Yes, rivers, valleys, people living there, people living on the coast, and more. most importantly, that we currently are doing nuclear sedimentary. This is stuff that's been under sea saltwater for at least to 8,000 you know years and they're discovering i mean there are current articles and again call it nanoarchaeology but they're discovering the flora and fauna of doggerland but you have to think we have a map of a world that includes antarctica with rivers and streams and mountains that there's no ice meanwhile that's 8000 years ago but 6000 years ago north there there's more and more science that's saying you know it looks like north africa was very vegetative it was not a desert even before it was, sometime before the Sphinx was, you know, it's like definitely older than the pyramids and that it was at the end of the last ice age. I remember shows in the 90s, you know, they were going at it like 36,000 years ago and what have you. But Doggerland, portions of it were still above water. Off of France, the whole area where you start hitting eight and 9,000 years ago with that map, with North Africa being – at the earliest Solon, the Greek, is spoke with you know Egyptian priests and historians, and they said you know the Nile, uh, well, what they're calling the Nile, there's those super lakes that are in northern Africa, and it went east west or you know west east. It was not a, a north south south north. It was a uh, across the top of Africa. And I have a map it took took two years of research to put a map together in my. Book, which is currently, again, under a revision. So i got nonalienes.com, I have a member area, all of it's there. And this map includes what the rivers and what the lands would have looked like. And that's the missing, we just joked about in the past for review for everyone, we have loincloth, rock banging, very complex stone building. They don't know how to do anything with wood. But on top of it, they have very advanced maps. They have very advanced sciences And we have elongated skulled humans that no one's genetically tested ever. Yet we know there's a mystery 14% human race along with Denise, even a Neanderthal dating 50, 60,000 years ago at a minimum. Millions of years of untold history. But here we are with Doggerland as just one location where I mentioned a city off the coast of Cuba that is 2,300 feet deep. It was found by uh, basically people looking for Spanish uh, galleons and gold. And they find a city that looks pyramidal in shape. It's likely polygonal, at least from the very distant, almost Mars rover-like distant images. And it could not have been above water. There there are some theories about how it could have been sooner, but the truth is it likely wasn't above water less than fifty to 60,000 years ago. And if we look at the map of the world that would include... Someone using a map that has no ice in Antarctica. So there's just another layer here where there are coastline after coastline of cities and metropolises, simple people, Neolithic, Eolithic, you know, simple, you know, very basic, literally rock, banging rocks to make tools. That's an Eolith or a Neolith. And so you have very simplex human beings, but you also have very advanced human beings that know longitude very, very accurately. Uh, The Pythagorean theorem showing up in the Babylonian Plimpton tablet a thousand years practically before Pythagoras ever did it. You have pi, you have Egan values being used in the constructions of the Great Pyramids and these polygonal constructions. And you have these accurate Mercator and parallels. So we're a worldwide society and we're choosing to ignore that they're very, very complex and they've been here. And the coastlines that they lived on are not the coastlines we're living on now. The greatest place everyone needs to look, it's the most dangerous, it's the most difficult, is maritime underwater marine archaeology. It's horrifying. The the bends to everything in the ocean that wants to eat you, I mean, it's difficult work. Currents, there's a million reasons why digging stuff up on the ground is, you know, so much cooler and easier now that we're doing sedimentary i know we had a chance to talk about this but i don't think it's hitting people fast enough that nuclear dna means we don't need teeth we don't need fingers we need dust so we can literally go to a city now and as we dig it out it's hard enough for archaeologists I have a big critique about archaeologists spending 40 years, my, my joke example is they spend 40 years putting a vase back together at the counter that's the entrance to Disney World but they never excavate Disney World <laughs> and right, right. And, and, and and that's a pro, that's problematic however uh, there are solutions and I have positive solutions for that but in the meantime we have nano archaeology now so what are we supposed to do every layer as we go down they found uh, that's our evening train if you can't hear it
0: Um okay.
1: Uh, and so now we have this uh, society that may have died, dusted, and they did nuclear DNA testing to find in a cave where there was a DDC event found. And they found 120 different species of animals and things that had died in that cave.
0: Right. So and in other words, this, you don't
1: need soft tissue. No. Uh, uh, but You just need dust. Right, and so now we have this horrible—so you have a city, uh, like, in, like. Let's just, we're just going to go low-hanging fruit here to Egypt, or or because you have very advanced uh, technology and the construction's on the lowest level, and then you have very primitive construction up above, but now as you dig— Are you finding uh, seismic metamaterials that help with earthquakes along with the polygonal walls? Uh, Something I'm very interested in. But what, as you dig, are you going to do, like a 3D printer, are you going to take the sedimentary remnants and not just OSL date? We're talking about finding nuclear DNA. So are we talking about literally looking for atoms and finding that, uh, you know, you're at a site in Egypt that you've dug... a You know, you're dealing with a square kilometer, and another Egyptian team is digging uh, maybe a hundred miles, a thousand miles, a hundred feet away, and you sift all the sand, and we're talking about this is where we're going to really need Spintronics and quantum computing to finally come in because the data sets that we would be handling from nuclear DNA testing, which for everyone out there that doesn't think this is sexy, this is a lot like Merlin Magical, Merlin, where you are able to recreate everything that lived and died and was intrusively buried within that site. And what if there's like a half of a window of something missing and the team that's digging 100 miles away is doing their own nanonuclear and... They're, like, based on shifting sands, uh, elements, floods, catastrophe. It's a, a muddle. Layer below. It's a muddle. Right. And But but what if they have the other half of a window that's supposed to be on your site 100 miles away? The, the, the complexities, it's super badass. So if you're looking for a field to get into, and for the mainstream academia that has stuck with this really, uh, unfortunately, backward... Uh, My personal choice word would be generally, well, there's a lot of reasons why they are stuck, but let's just say that they shouldn't be. They should be more interested now in dusting off the bins and pulling up and say, hey, we're the university with like 20,000 boxes of unsolved. Come and join us. Uh, Join our satellite Uh, archaeological program that you'll never leave this for seven years. You'll never leave this uh, particular site in Guatemala that we LIDAR scanned and you're responsible for three pyramids out of 150 and the kilometer of super freeway around it. You know, there's so much we're finding now just with LIDAR where we thought uh, uh, the snapshot of, of, of total human global populations just in, post-Diluvian, the last biblical flood period of 11,000 plus years, there is clearly uh, such a misnomer on the number of humans here, but pre-Diluvian, and in the echoes of uh, these religious texts, no matter where they are in the world, it show one, it's almost congruent that everyone says humans have always been here. Two, we find it in the paleoanthropological record, there's proof of it, you know, and then three... What are we doing to understand on the nuclear, not just DNA, but on the sedimentary level, like they're figuring out the flora and fauna of Doggerland in a time period when Doggerland would have been around with the P. Reese Reese map? What are we doing to sort out that if there is terra preta, which is an engineered soil found in Brazil, it's found in North Africa, it's found in North uh, South America, and there are other engineered soils, These these are the richest growing soils on earth. So we have a worldwide global culture that I do think collective human consciousness was at a higher level and a higher plane, and these junk DNA, to tie back to our earlier segments, is that. I think the population that's supported now, this 8 billion, I think our population was much larger than it is really? now.
0: Really? Larger yeah. than 8 billion? That's remarkable. Because you mentioned the supervolcano Toba 75,000 years ago. Yeah. And, and after that, there was, what, maybe, at least on the surface, and we don't know Chaos. below the surface, but above the surface, what, maybe
1: 10,000 breeding pairs left? the assumption we have all these weird anomalous rock cut ruins. there are in the Andes down to, and if you've been a society around for hundreds of thousands of years, it's like you're prepared for natural and maybe like some terrifying weapon disasters. And the reality is that you have a very screwed up super, you know, the earth itself is not in a good state after this volcano goes off. So why wouldn't Denise Event and Neanderthal and the right. mystery 14%? Why would they all breed together? Why would they all survive together? Why wouldn't you see underground? Yeah, they're in and out of caves. I mean, you have the Moon-Eyed people of the Cherokee kind of in the eastern area of the United States. Mary Joyce talks about that and a number of other yes. people. But then but then in the West, you have the Ant people. Yes, the whole guys, yeah. Yep, guiding, guiding people into rock-cut shelters. And then the problem is, is very awkwardly, we have come across rock-cut uh, ruins that do not fit with any native cultures in the United States. They are all over the world and they clearly indicate an antiquity to a society that was always prepared for mega disasters That's well whether they survived it or not
0: we'll take a time out come back and uh, chat some more maybe we'll even talk more about trains the uh, conspiracy show continues after this stay with us where there's smoke there's the conspiracy show with richard serran And we are back with Jared Murphy, and the book is It's Not Aliens, Worse, It's Us, Discovering Our Lost History, It's Not Aliens.com, and also the YouTube channel, It's Not Aliens. Sasquatch, like, how does Sasquatch fit into this, if at all?
1: You know, it's interesting, something that doesn't ever get pointed out in Cremo's epic work is that he spends over, like, 180 pages on Sasquatch, and... I think it's interesting because again, there's these remnant genetic anomalies. Whether it's our memories and our and other people's empathetic abilities to tap into that collective consciousness or unpack that genetic zip file and speak to someone's life, and or they th- they may think it's theirs, but with Sasquatch, there's a lot of fiction. I think with it. Uh, it fascinated me, again, dating us. I remember going to the theater and watching that documentary about Sasquatch back in the early 80s and that terrifying me, you know, the uh, footage of Sasquatch walking through the woods. and it's, Yes. You know, that was, I remember that. You know, if we can mix Sasquatch in with trains as we're at it, we're going to do great. I, <laughs> I think that it's quite, you know, Abominable Snowman, it, all of it is... Fascinating in that the eyewitness accounts again come from people who don't believe in this stuff most of the time. There's like, look, this is not, they. you know, the, the idea of a Sasquatch looking sort of person throwing rocks or being very strong. There's constantly a sighting by people who would not normally talk about this stuff, citing it. So is it possible that they exist? But why do they exist? Are they truly primitive? Are they, are they guard dogs? I mean, in the sense that are they are they really guarding an entrance or a, a possibility of a, a more advanced society? And this is the early warning system, like last call, you know, you guys hiked too far one direction. Uh, the, the reality is that the overall idea of, again, post-Diluvian mythology, is it another race or creature running in safe mode? Like, you know chupacabra or here's the other problem no whether it's sasquatch or anything else actually in all seriousness one of the issues is when you have collective human consciousness and you can manifest things it appears like you said it's like well if it's real show me the reality is that it is possible you know you we were talking about some of the other books like the power of eight comes to mind and the reality is that, you know, you have Sufis, you, know, you have the ancient Sufis, collective dreaming, uh, astral projecting, and you have them talking about these abilities. and Or second sight, the Romans used people that had second sight, and it was an ability to, not like the ministeric goats, they didn't, the second sight was they could see something going on somewhere, but they weren't really there but they've right. never been there or what's Anyways, what the tib-
0: t- tibetan monks that could
1: manifest monsters or tomas yeah they... tibetan the same methodology is where kind of where they stayed all secretive and they too can sit cross-legged 20 below zero they've done the infrared and they heat themselves and they can sit in 20 below and take a frozen blanket and thaw it and they have similar meditations that keep putting them back again i think what it is is it's you're banging on the blinky board. You're getting a reaction from your very, very advanced cellular system on a very, very, very broken, safe-moded computer, which, by the way, I, I happen to own the first laptop, Macintosh, uh, the first uh, power, power book. I, I have that. Is that right? Oh, yeah. I have it. Those are case. collector's items. I had no they idea. Be sitting on
0: a gold mine. I mentioned Tolpas thomas is what the word I was looking oh. for, the Tibetan Tolpas where they could manifest these supernatural
1: monsters. Yeah, right. And is it that they're actually projecting them or projecting them in someone's mind? I mean, if they're projecting them externally, I don't think it's out of line. I, I think based on the fragments of all the different things, if you just, again, if whether you're going to talk paranormal or spiritual or the, a meditative practice, the reality is in this post-flood uh, and post-apocalyptic volcanic eruption world that is well, within uh, we have this survivor advanced race that's kind of like kind of maneuvering around all of us, uh, like some of the indications at Tiwanaku and in the in the Andes that they're rebuilding again or that they're managing. But you have these uh, abominables, you have the Sasquatch phenomena you, again, little people, you have giants, you have and giants by seven, eight, 10, 12 feet, whatever. Uh, you have anomalies of. And remnants uh, in post-flood times here, biblical post-flood times, of what appears to be a much more, again, if you have control of your genetic systems, changing height, weight, uh, abilities, specializing, wouldn't be a big deal. Like you might be able to throw on a new suit. I hate to think of Avatar for it, but you could literally engineer the body or the ability you need and then go do the work and then return to some other format, whether you look like a gray, whether you look like a reptilian, whether you look like whatever. The assumption is, well, they're from somewhere else. Why? Because they look like they're from somewhere else. It's the Is the Sasquatch a devolved, safe, moted, still high-functioning creature? Is it really a simple creature? Is it not? I mean, there's some odd, odd, odd sightings that all appear to be real. But there's only so many things you can say about it. There's just been no uh, scientific. Okay, there. Yes, Yetis. You know, they've. Cremo talks about it again. Huge section. No one ever talks about this. Actually, it's it's a great section uh, where he gets into the providence of the people who have looked at the different evidences for Sasquatch, Yetis, fill in the blank, abominable snowmen to exist, and. There are physical evidences, and sometimes they turn out to be like parts of monkeys, and sometimes they actually seem mysterious and there doesn 't seem to be an explanation for it but there 's almost no research on it really, and it starts to fall in the same categories of like the parachus it 's like well what but, but they 're sitting right there on a shelf what why, why aren 't well if that 's supposedly an abominable or a sasquatch fur why don 't we test it and yes, frequently you'll hear of stories where it gets tested, but it's a dog. Our family tree is just far more complex, you
0: know, than Very I think so. or we've been led to believe. I do want to start this conversation now about the uh, the engineered soil, because this is some of the greatest evidence for these yeah. advanced ancient civilizations. So, you yeah, know, you and I have talked on the podcast, we talked on Coast yep. to Coast, but there are people that didn't hear either of those. Yep. Uh, so l- explain what engineered soils are.
1: Yeah, so here I was going to write that cool fictional book about, you know, re engineered super soldier practice, And then day three of research, which puts me into a three and a half year research uh, cycle for this first book, uh, it, I find this word about uh, Colonel Percy Fawcett and, you know, Brad Pitt played him in the Lost City of Z. And I'm like, okay, they're going to talk about ancient societies. I'm going to watch this show. And here it is uh, this archaeologist pulls this just documentarying up to what it's about 8-10 feet thick of black soil and she goes this is called terra preta and it's the richest growing soil on earth and well soil scientists have looked at it for 100 years and no one knows how to make it isn't that neat okay let's go find Colonel Percy Fawcett where he got lost in the jungle and I stopped the presses right there and went hold on there is and I recalled because I'm a paleo guy I don't talk about that this is a few times I have but I remember ten years ago, I was looking for rich growing soil. Like what to grow your food in? Well, terra preta self replicates. Yeah, so it kind of grows back, and it's not compost. It it tends to self replicate. It has this electromagnetic like communication property to it. It's uh, self. It cleans carbon dioxide and uh, fertilizers out of it. Heavy metals, and it's all over the earth. And the exact recipe. So think uh, think a brand like Coca Cola or Macintosh computers. Except this a Macintosh is in North Africa, northern South America, and in Brazil. And they at the time, this is now four and a half years ago. They were saying, "Well, we think it's an area about the size of two Spains or two Great Britons, and
0: that, that that's covered in this in this yeah. here
1: product." yeah and so they, it's called a wet desert. They believe that the soil other than okay, so there's known techniques like slash and burn, you you know burn down the trees like make coal and and you know that's um and we have modern biochars. but as I started to look and read the papers, the scientific papers on Terra Preto are terrifying in this sense. Nobody thought, you know, like finding a mummy like Tutankhamun's cool, like soil's not sexy, but soil is sexy. So for all of you listening who did not hear you and me on Coast to Coast and everything else, the truth is engineered ancient soil like Terra Preta is also found in Siberia. It's found in North America. They're also called Ternosums, and there's actually a black market for the black soil from from Ukraine and from Brazil because people who want to grow nutrient rich food want terra preta where your average farmer they rotate crops right. they... because we deplete the nutrients in fact yeah. you know, I mean most of the
0: soil that we grow in now is so depleted we're just not getting the the we're literally starving to death we're eating ourselves to death but we're starving yeah. to death because there are yeah. no nutrients no, in it the looks soil no look like at big
1: red tomato it looks like a big red tomato because they engineered it to be that. Right. But most of the tomatoes grown in America are grown in Florida. I learned that being paleo, not this research. And they look like big red tomatoes, but they have like zero nutritional value. And that's a problem if you want the nutrients that are supposed to be in and, and farmers, they're like, okay, well, they learn you only need to add 17 nutrients. Well, there's a very well-known gentleman named Dr. Joe Wallach who started pointing out that you know there's a lot more in Gerson. Dr. Gerson, there's a yes. number of... Of people throughout history in the last hundred something years that have said, look, there's 90 nutrients or 60 nutrients, at least at a minimum, you could stick in the soil, but you could also grow it aeroponically. But that aside, this engineered soil isn't, at first you're like, whoa, it's all over in places that we don't have people, yet we did those LiDAR scans in Guatemala and suddenly two and a half years ago oh, it looks like uh, we may have underestimated South America, and and then they say, well, we've grossly underestimated that maybe 15 or 20 million people could have lived here. Okay,
0: I've got to jump in here, Jared. We're going to take a time. I'll come back and
1: talk more engineered soil. Jared Murphy,
0: back with more of The Conspiracy Show right after this. Big
1: Brother is listening, and so are you, to The Conspiracy Show with Richard
0: Sarant okay so we're talking about engineered soil and uh, is it possible to to carbon date soil do we have an
1: idea how old it could be Some of the bio uh, dating so so far some of the some of it's dated to six to eight thousand years old The problem is no one's tackling it and what I was getting to right before the break was as I'm reading the papers I'm you start to learn the I'm a standard academic and I can't say too much yet. They're talking about oh the these properties need to be studied further. There's these interesting anomalies, there's these abilities and oh further study will be required. And one of one of the things that I think is found, I and I I think it's just not published in the peer-reviewed work is that the oldest date I can get is 8000 years because that's the date that no one else, you know, Beyond that, you're getting way too close to the younger Dryas. No one's supposed to be there doing this. You can't have dates that I think I suspect. If they were coring and looking throughout this, we would. Uh, we definitely, I think, are going to find thousands of years in age. Uh one of the things that I know we touched on for a hot second is that if the soil is engineered, not just for growing, but also for sending and receiving or technology like the lines, Alliance, uh, the polygonal constructions, and I think this is very important, is in construction is compacting the soil and the walls that are sitting on their footings. Are part of a soil and engineering system that is underappreciated because it's not a mummy, it's not art, it's not gold, it's not something cool and dynastic with a with a leafed book of uh, gold tablets that explain why they are or cuneiform or anything. When you start talking uh, nuclear DNA and you start talking sexy soil, people check out. Whereas if we have the the implications, not just of Göbekli Tepe, the implications of having engineered soil that's older all around the Earth. I mean, Scott Walter talked about it on America on Earth, about the corn in Wisconsin being eight to 9,000 years old. Corn doesn't maintain itself. You have to maintain corn. You have to. A human being, not a bee, no random thing in the universe makes modern corn. The corn that's in uh, research scientists between... Uh, Wisconsin and Michigan, there is corn that's been maintained for almost 9,000 years. So the age of terra preta and, more importantly, the functionality of what's called seismic metamaterials, which means whether it's a little tiny nanoparticle to a larger like golf ball or a stone sphere and how it manages the uh, waves and frequencies sending and receiving through this soil and the way it's sifted and where where trees are planted so if we've been here for millions of years let me throw something out to you that if we have petrified trees and we come across a layer in situ that shows a very particular pattern there are science that there there's a group in europe that has already determined that the towers the old towers of bologna italy that have fallen that if they were all up, the originals, there's over 400, that they would create earthquake-safe zones. And they go on to speculate that you could do the same thing with trees, and you could do the same thing with soil, and they did. They plugged soil. They just basically did giant 50-foot tube uh, spaces, and they by creating this, like, kind of connect for cheese grid, Swiss cheesing the ground, and also changing up the soil content, you're dealing with Right now, uh, a society that was definitely doing, I don't think just terra preta, but using seismic metamaterials from not just obvious ones like stone spheres, small and big, but I think they were using the soil. So the way we need to, to
0: avert an earthquake,
1: in other words, and, and 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 communications. So there's piezoelectric properties. So it's you're yeah, not we have just, to talk about the piezoelectric properties yeah.
0: of the soil. Um, I think we're almost uh, up for a break here. This was a short yeah. segment. So, yeah, piezoelectric uh, qualities or characteristics in this engineered soil. And you mentioned yeah, these spheres, things. and Cremo talks about these these spheres. I don't know if we're talking about the same types, but these are the – these, you know, perfectly perfect spheres with these uh, two parallel lines that run around the equator – are those the same spheres we're talking well, those about? Those are
1: different. Those are the oldest known man made objects on Earth. Those are the Klerkstorp spheres. I got to see those when I was in South Africa. Those are others. Uh, they don't even know how many. They're still finding them. And they're two and a half to three and a half billion years old. Right. And obviously engineered, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. They have exactly what you said parallel lines. There's nothing in nature that. There's some cool concretions. They th- they try to say, oh, you know, nature just made it. But there can be two or three lines on Klerkstorff spheres, and they're made out of multiple uh, materials. And again, no one's material tested them, but there's no way they were made by nature. Right,
0: and found in strata that's
1: too like billions
0: of years old. All right, uh, Jared, one final timeout. We'll come back and uh, finish up. Jared Murphy, uh, it's not aliens. Worse, it's us discovering our lost history. Stay with us. You're listening to the conspiracy show with Richard Serrett. All right, I just want to uh, drill down a little bit on the uh, piezoelectric characteristics of this engineered soil, and then we 'll get to uh, skip who 's on the line from Connecticut. so what does that mean piezoelectric
1: so uh, it, it, it's they're holding it 's holding current, and it would mean that you could send a low uh, level current if you didn 't want to electrocute everybody standing on the ground or through a power line you could be sending. Uh, Signals. You could be sending communication. You could be sending basically your cable television and fiber optics could just be a matter of connective energies and frequencies. So you're canceling on one level uh, earthquakes with the combination of the soils, your constructions, the way you're engineering and terraforming the planet. Uh, But through the soil itself, it's connecting to these. The buildings are always high in quartz they're always building with basalt and quartzites and they're dealing with the same components that are in uh, basically our phones or our computers. They're always dealing, the buildings themselves are, you know, the joke is one day, you know, somebody will walk up with the uh, flash drive or, you know, it'll connect and they'll be able to play the music or something from some of these big advanced ancient buildings, but they have keystone cuts. And they matter because they seem to be metal connecting points. Like, why are you increasing... Why do you need metal in between 800, 100-ton stones that aren't going to move anywhere because they've been so put together with, like, 20 sides? Why would they need metal? Okay, let's look at the the obvious. So they're connected with quartz. They're connected with um, a current-inducing... A suite of current receiving, friendly to frequency and waves. So on one hand, if there is a certain frequency at a certain level, uh, so many kilometers down and under and over in the earth, well, as that earthquake happens at that theoretical tectonic plate, then, well, this building is going to move. And again, we're assuming that these giant polygonal constructions that, well, they could move 800-ton blocks. How hard is it for them to move a 60-foot a diameter? Uh, sequoia or redwood? How hard would it be for them to build a multi-story building on, with materials that are long since gone? So we're, we're only looking at the polygonal remnants of the base and that soil. If you're walking along and 100% conscious and you have your synesthesias, you have these uh, different abilities where Why, with the odd ocular nerve endings in the pineal gland, the idea that the the religious, the spiritual idea of a third eye might be just the remnant sliver of truth of the fact that you could, through the soil itself, sense or concentrate or focus on, not these junk genes, but on various individuals. And you could send and receive without needing an external device like a phone or a brain implant from Tesla that you would be able to connect to the greater surrounding because you were aware of it. And this is something that would be very easy to do if you're barefoot. We already know that barefoot running, you know, you have Christopher McDougall writing Born to Run, and it made everybody wearing five-finger shoes popular. Not going to lie, I got a pair. (laughs) But I also do a lot of, I do barefoot running. I do barefoot, well, not mm, hiking. I climb. And so the idea is, uh what, what would happen if we were to run on barefoot on the engineered soil? Yeah, so right now the minute you cut it doesn't even matter if you're on concrete. If you go barefoot, there's an electron exchange. How hard is it for a group of people who are managing, I think, intentionally here's the thing, not randomly, they're intentionally programming our genome. They're intentionally programming for customization of jobs. They're terraforming the planet. So to connect to the planet, like Wait, we already have all the soil under us and we're making more of it. And it's not just black earth. In this case, Terra Preta is specifically the black earth that was then used by later survivor cultures for growing things. But we're not looking at specifically outside of, I mentioned chernosums, but there are other soils that don't specifically grow things in, like the. Uh, platforms or the uh, foundational materials of these megalithic constructions. We literally don't know what they're sitting on. And just to pre-compact the soil and to get it all set and the way they're being done, it's not just about having a straight wall that also can deal with earthquakes. It's how are you mindfully managing a building that has all the connective elements needed for you to send a signal to it or through it or touch it or do it through the ground for you to receive it and directly visualize it with now dormant superhuman abilities. And these are not a big stretch. We're just talking to the surface.
0: All right, I, I wanna grab a call here. Skip is in Connecticut. Skip, welcome.
1: Yeah, hi, Jerry. Two quick things. Uh, one would be the volcanic ash deposits of a soil. As they affect soil, would they be uniform or vary? And then the possible untapped loss Arts You've had some guy that, I believe, recently climbed Mount Everest, or at least part of it, in gym shorts. And uh, you had that Coral Castle guy that seemed to tap into something to build those Coral Castles. Could that be a lost art as well? I'll go in reverse. The Coral Castle guy, I actually got to go there for the first time just a couple years ago, so I've seen it. And I can only say that from the YouTube video that speculated based on his former logging abilities and some of the devices on hand. Because I know the big the urban myth is uh, cone-shaped tools, that he was floating the blocks in place. I mean, he, what he did alone was monumental, and he was a real tiny little guy. I stood next to the cardboard cutout of him because people don't realize what a tiny man he was. And he's moving these... Uh, multi-ton, 100-ton, 200-ton. I mean, it's incredible what he moved. But it appears to be quite logically movable, but very much in a solid current example of what a logger could do and how a logger could fulcrum or move large trees or heavy objects. I think his skill set that he learned as a logger allowed him to do Coral Castle including on his own, with technology that just isn't remembered from the turn of the century loggers. Uh, and that's I know I, I know I have to go fast, but I talk about Victor Schauberger, the naturalist, who's also a, really a quantum uh, theorist. He got logs. The whole reason we have log shoots uh, is that there is a tenth of a degree difference in water. Water has really weird properties, but Victor Schauberger figured out that to float logs, That you needed a tenth of a degree difference that although the logs were heavier than the water, the water at a particular temperature would float the logs down the chutes. And this man figured this out by observing nature, and it's really a, a, a quantum thing. And then for the soil... The modern commercial equipment is biochars. And we make them. So, like, if you and I are going to open an apple farm, we can get a biochar that has, like, a certain amount of uh, compost that's been burned and wood that's been burned that creates a element that's good for the soil and for a particular thing. But the elements that they're using for ancient biochars, am I totally answering that question, by the way? What am I? Richard, am I? I
0: think so. Well, the other one he had, yeah, but he also was asking he's... about, uh, uh, was it Wim Hof that climbed Everest in his yes. shorts?
1: Yeah, yes, that he did. Well, and he, okay. didn't, yeah, he, he didn't go all the way up, but I also, I got his inner fire book, and I will say that he went part way up, and the uh, he had actually run 13 miles in the 20 below weather and had blackened his toes Six months prior, and he almost had to cancel the whole trip. And what's epic about that is the Sherpas, they don't spend time with anyone. They don't spend time with Westerners. When Wim Hof did what he did, the Sherpas actually took him back to their village and actually hung out with them. And he actually overcame a physiological response that his body had six months earlier when he had priorly blackened his toes and he essentially cured them through meditation and an application of uh, it's more like an udder cream for cows but he actually uh, recovered from that still made the Everest trip still climbed a significant portion uh, past base camp and did it quite spectacularly, and those abilities are not unique. We can all do that, and it's it's been very helpful for people from cancers to disabilities to um, anxieties. I mean, there's simple stress-relieving things that the Wim Hof thing does, but I can tell you from experience, there's also a meditative quality that I can say plugs you in like the Great Pyramid is connected in that base carve-out of granite that it's sitting in, and it's foundation.
0: Skip, thank you for that. Well, Jared, we are winding down here. Again, the uh, website is notaliens.com, notaliens.com, and also the YouTube channel, Not Aliens.
1: And Rockfin. I'm actually on Rockfin. I had the same problem you did with people banning stuff, so I'm on YouTube. But it's the same thing. You know, if you say the wrong thing, you end up in naughty YouTube timeout. So I'm on Rockfin also. Uh All right. Terrific. And uh, what a delight. I don't know where those two hours went.
0: Jared, uh, thank you so much, and we'll, uh, we'll talk again soon, I hope.
1: I can't wait. And, yeah, we can keep drilling into this deeper and better for everyone. So I appreciate everyone's time, and you have me on again. It was a great time. All right. Jared Murphy. All right, that's it for me.
0: My thanks to uh, Carlos and Ryan back next week. Uh, who's up? I think it might be Joshua P. Warren. I'll have to look at the schedule. But uh, if not, uh, Joshua, it'll be someone uh, brilliant. We always bring you the best. All right. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light, what I say in a whisper. Proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home, or at least up the stairs. Good night.